This is the Heartland Daily Podcast. everyone and welcome to the Heartland Daily Podcast. This is Anne-Marie Schieber from Healthcare News. The abortion pill Mifepristone is now in the hands of the U.S. Supreme Court. On April 21, the court decided to stay any restrictions on the drug until the legality of the drug works its way through the lower courts. Now, quick summary here. The FDA authorized the pill in 2000 under a specific protocol Women had to get it from a physician and only in a clinic because there's a very narrow window for this drug to be administered safely. Then COVID hit and the Dobbs decision last year reversing Roe v. Wade and the FDA now wants to make it available for do-it-at-home abortions. On April 9, a federal judge in Texas ruled that mifepristone was improperly authorized back in 2000. And that decision was quickly appealed. And then there is another case. uh, And that decision also came down on April 9, unrelated to the Texas case. But this decision protects the distribution of the drug in certain states. So that is coming into play. Wow, lots going on. I've invited Rick Mehta back onto the podcast. Rick is an attorney. He teaches healthcare law at Georgetown University School of Law. He's a pharmacist and a former consumer safety officer at the FDA. Welcome back. Hey, great to be back on with you. So you and I talked about this topic about a month ago, and you had some concerns about this Texas decision in that you wondered if the Biden administration would call a public emergency to protect the drug if needed, um, if it was pulled uh, off the shelves in this Texas case. Now, things are playing out a little differently. Do you want to give us your take on what's going on? Well, it's interesting um, how this judge ruled. And I'll tell you, I think I still maintain uh, that if the drug is actually pulled off the market, then, you know, the Biden administration may, in fact, still look to declare a public health emergency. But it's a little bit different. So we've had a case here that's been in what I call regulatory purgatory, going through the administrative processes for more than two decades, where a federal court has finally looked to review the petitions against the original approval of mifeprestone, RU486, from the early 2000s, and whether or not it was uh, approved on the proper legal basis. You know, as the only regulatory agency responsible for the approval and regulation of our prescription drug supply, the FDA has to work under both a scientific basis and a legal basis. Um, And I think a lot of the focus has been on the scientific basis, but less so on the legal standards that the FDA has to follow prescribed to them by Congress. And I think that's really what's at play here. Mm. Now, the Fifth Circuit Appeals Court is still reviewing this Texas decision. And I guess a ruling is expected sometime mid-May. Whatever happens, in any case, the Supreme Court is going to probably be asked to appeal it no matter what they do. Uh, what could ultimately happen? What can the Supreme Court do? Can they just say, take it off the shelves, go back to, you know, start all over? Well, so let's talk about the Texas case first and what the judge said. The judge said that there was enough merits to push this case forward in order to grant a stay 
uh, such that Mifeprestone would be off the market until there was a hearing on the merits of the case, right? And the Supreme Court reversed that and said, you know, given the conflict, the regulatory chaos, uh, you know, despite some uh, dissenting opinions on it, they said, we'll allow the, the product to continue to market uh, and kicked it back to the Fifth Circuit. And, and that doesn't necessarily mean that the product will stay on the market. And so really, as I mentioned before, when you look at the legal basis, the question really will be uh, back in 1992 uh, and early on when FDA issued regulations that allowed for the what we called accelerated approval specifically for life-threatening diseases like HIV and cancer, where many drugs were getting hung up in this regulatory uh, purgatory, as I mentioned, uh, and, and many patients were dying of their life-threatening diseases before the drugs were being approved, the Clinton administration at the time relied on that, what we call subpart H, on an accelerated approval to push forward mifepristone to allow for the introduction of medical abortions to complement the surgical abortions. And I think the question really is on the legal basis, was it done on solid legal ground, or are there questionable uh, interpretations of the law that the FDA relied on in order to grant the approval of the product? Now, that's not saying that the companies can't resubmit a new drug application following the proper protocols, but if the protocols were broken in the first place and the FDA exceeded their authority, uh, then it does call into question whether, they whether it was approved on a sound basis. Now, do you say that because mifepristone is not a life-saving drug? It actually takes life. <laughs> um, and I guess maybe you could argue, or maybe they have argued, that there are some uh, life-saving protections for women. I, I don't know what the, the reasoning was back then. But is that an issue here? Because this is not uh, something that will prolong someone's life, which I guess was the spirit of you know, that accelerated approval process. Well, and I'd argue even a step further, I think the argue can, argument can be made is that is it actually taking away a life? You know, remember, when we talked about what we call these advanced safety provisions, uh, and in particular, the question here is on something called REMS or risk evaluation and mitigation strategies, which were really formalized and introduced in 2008, you're talking about additional tools beyond the drug's label, which is the cornerstone of mitigating risk. And you're talking about additional tools in order to let some of the most toxic drugs back on the market. Now, our history of drugs in, on the market has what has carved out our entire legal landscape, right? In 1938, we suffered from the sulfonylamide tragedy, and that's what introduced pre-market approval. And then in 1962, we had the thalidomide disaster in Europe, which we narrowly averted here in America. Uh, and fast forward to 2008, the REMS program allowed us to reintroduce thalidomide. Now, what was the disaster with thalidomide? Well, it created fetal abnormalities and teratogenic syndromes in, in babies. Uh, and so the FDA's primary concern for allowing for introduction of these additional toxic drugs was to protect fetuses. Okay, that was the basis of having advanced tools to mitigate risk to allow for the, some of the most toxic drugs back on the market under the conditions for what they called assuring safe use. Now, fast forward to mifeprestone, and
And that product was approved in order to, not only is it a teratogenic, it's intended to abort the fetus altogether. And so the question really comes down to, not only is it not a life-threatening illness, is pregnancy an illness? And if you look at the legal definition of a drug, you know, again, looking at the legal uh, aspects, uh, a drug in our country is intended for use in the diagnosis, cure, mitigation, treatment, or prevention of disease. So where in that would you read pregnancy to fit into one of those categories? And now, if you argue that maybe the pregnancy can cause some kind of life life-threatening condition in women, then should the label be narrowly tailored uh, to allow for those particular uh, conditions? And, and when the FDA lifted their restrictions uh, to allow for the safe use of it, I think that's what's called into question now, whether or not the FDA had the legal authority to do so. Yeah, and, and this uh, issue of whether pregnancy is considered an illness or not, um, could that be the crux of the matter here? I mean, would Congress have to come in and actually declare that? Well, I think that's exactly what's going on, right? At the end of the day, Congress is what regulates goods in interstate commerce, and they delegate those authorities when there's additional expertise and technical knowledge needed. In the case of prescription drugs, that's how FDA was created. And so if Congress wanted this back on the market, Appropriately, they may need to reopen and look at what is the legal definition of a drug and should it cover uh, abortions and other, you know, and whether or not it can be used to uh, terminate pregnancies. And does that mean what is the congressional intent if pregnancy, terminating pregnancy is part of the legal definition of drugs? You know, Rick, many people have lost faith in the FDA. Um, now you have people like Robert Kennedy Jr., who's running for president, one of the FDA's biggest critics. He's going to have a huge pulpit uh, to talk about that. Um, we've had the vaccines, um, but now we've got this drug, Mifepristone, and a lot of people really didn't know about it until recently, and they started to opening, uh, wanted, wanting to open the floodgates on the drug. Um, is it do you think that this is going to be kind of a, a pivotal moment for what we do with the FDA? Um, because, you know, I think people just assume this agency is there primarily to protect the public. And we maybe we need to start from scratch. Do you think that this could prompt some major reform there? Well, I, I will tell you that as it bubbles up to the Supreme Court, and if it is weighed the legal merits of the case are weighed that there was some, you know, some shaky footing in approving Mifeprestone such that it's removed from the market and then companies are asked to reapply uh, through proper procedures. I will say that then we significantly would be paring back uh, what FDA has otherwise enjoyed over, I'd say, uh, 50 years of enforcement discretion and discretionary authority that has really not been challenged by law. Um, and I do think that could raise some questions from overall uh, reforms. I think the, there are some significantly smart, intelligent, hardworking civil servants that work every day to protect Americans, protect our supply chain, and protect and promote public health. Uh, and then you have the higher echelons that are politically injected. Uh, and so the real question is, how do you protect an agency from political influence that seems to creep in on these decision-making and really toes the line of what the agency's legal, ba legal bounds are? Um, and, you know, again, accelerating approval based on political whim 
I think that's one that's uh, that can be and should be looked at pretty hard. There's no doubt that prescription treatments need to get to people that have life-threatening diseases and should not be hung up in a you know regulatory purgatory, as I've mentioned. Uh, but at the same time, you can't cherry pick based on political preference. There are real people out there that are suffering from disease and illness. They deserve the treatment. They deserve the review. Um, and I do think that calling for certain reforms that expedite the approval safely without injecting politics into the process probably be a good thing for America. Yeah, because it's not just abortion. I mean, there are other drugs that a lot of people believe are being pushed through for ideology purposes. You know, we've got the cross-sex hormones and the puberty blockers. We have pills. And they, you know, we've always known for years that, that we have assisted suicide by physicians, all these things that can be very harmful to people and sterilize them or even promote death. Do you think um, that this now uh, may come into play? Are we going to start questioning some of these other drugs that are on the market? Well, it's possible. And, and what I would say is that, you know, I hope Congress recognizes uh, that they have oversight over the FDA, not the other way around. Um, we should never let any administrative agency that's not accountable to elected representatives uh, grow bigger than those bodies that are accountable to elected representatives. And so there needs to be more oversight by Congress over the FDA without allowing it to run on complete discretionary autonomy, while at the same time being able to have the flexibilities to keep up with the changing medical innovation uh, that's coming out that are truly creating uh, life-saving innovations on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, listen, as a biotech entrepreneur myself, we're working on the innovative space every single day, and there's some cool things that are happening, and the last thing you need is an agency, agency that's stifling that. However, politics continues to creep up, and right. political processes are influencing the overall operations of FDA. So it'll be interesting to see you know, where we knit out, um, but yes, I do believe at the end of the day, uh, FDA could use some meaningful reforms to uh, insulate uh, the injection of politics into its uh, scientific decision-making process. Well, on that note, that's a, a really good point, and, and these are really big questions, and, and I really do appreciate your coming on the podcast to discuss them. Uh, you'll have to keep us posted. <laughs> it's my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. All right. Rick Mehta is an attorney at Georgetown uh, who teaches healthcare law at Georgetown University School of Law. And he was also uh, a consumer safety officer at the FDA. He's also a pharmacist. And I will have some links uh, to some of Zopeds and some of the articles we've had in healthcare news on this topic. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in. Do share this link if you enjoyed this discussion, and we invite you to become a regular subscriber so that you can be alerted to our daily free market public policy discussions from the Heartland Daily Podcast. Have a great week, everyone. This is Anne-Marie Schieber. Mm -hmm.